Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Well, hey, it is good to see you this morning. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. We asked you guys and kids if you wanted to wear superhero stuff, and I have had this Superman tie in my closet for years and have never worn it. And so this felt like the perfect opportunity to break out the Superman tie today because uh, we're celebrating dads as heroes, and so we're thankful for you guys. But most importantly, we're celebrating the fact that we have God who's in heaven. He is our Father eternally, and He's our greatest hero. Uh, he has achieved for us a salvation that can't be taken away from us. And that's really what we're going to be focusing on and looking at this morning as we talk about the whole Holy Spirit and the work of the Father to send His Spirit to give us uh, salvation through Jesus Christ. And so uh, just a little bit of a recap. If you're new with us this morning, where we've been over the last three weeks, we started out by talking in this series about who the Holy Spirit is. We want to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, not just to know about Him or to have head knowledge about the Spirit, but to really have a relationship with Him that's life-giving and life-changing. And so we talked about the idea that the Spirit of God is not an impersonal force. It's not like something you're going to see in Star Wars or something like that. The Spirit of God is a person. He's a divine person. And so because He is a person, He exists uh, in this Trinitarian uh, relationship with the Father and the Son. And He is designed to come into our lives and give us a relationship that helps us encounter God in a full way. And so we talked about that week one. In week two of the, spirit, uh, the series, we said that the Holy Spirit is not just God who is a divine person, but He's the Spirit of life and peace. And that he is given to us in relationship to help us to learn how to walk in relationship with God. And one of the biggest things that we get in this life and peace relationship is that he helps us to say no to sin and to say yes to the things of God. And so we grow in that ability to put sin behind us and to walk in fellowship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. He will always lead us to life and freedom. But we found out in Scripture that without the Spirit of God in us, we can't please God. And so that is an important aspect of our faith journey in walking with Christ. Then last week, we talked about the idea that He is the Spirit of belonging, that He gives us a place of belonging in God's family. In fact, He helps us to call God Abba, Father, that we talk to Him and communicate with Him in that way because we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. There's this transfer that's taken place when we follow Christ as believers in Jesus. And so in that, we have this spirit of belonging, that He gives us a place to belong. And not only that we belong with God and His family, but that we join the family business that we are called to make disciples of Jesus. The same thing that Jesus did, we're called to do. And so we jump into his family, and then we become part of the family business, making disciples. So today we're going to close up this series. We're going to kind of end things, not because we've exhausted who the Holy Spirit is or what we could learn about him or know of him and how to have a relationship with him, uh, but because this is just where we had chosen to kind of finish some things up. And so we're going to close up the series this morning. And as we do, we're going to look at the final parts of Romans chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in the final uh, verses there today. But here's what we learned last week as we kind of ended some things. Paul told us in, uh, in verse 17 that because we're co-heirs with Christ, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 
right? And we talked about that idea of going, hey, when we share in his sufferings, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to physically give our lives for the kingdom. Maybe some of us will. That could be a reality. There are Christians all over the world who are uh, martyred for their faith and give their lives as a a stance for the gospel. Uh, And so that could happen to us. Uh, But more than likely, the things that we might suffer with Christ in to experience his glory are suffering with him through making disciples, the same way that Jesus suffered in his life. So what did it cost Jesus? It cost him relationships. It cost him comfort. It it cost him a lot of different things. And the same thing might be true of us. You may lose friends because of your relationship with Jesus. Your family may reject you because of your relationship with Christ. There may be things that you have to give up when it comes to comfort in your life to be obedient to the following of the Holy Spirit. And so there are a lot of different things that might come up in your life that you're going to walk with Christ through, that the Spirit of God is going to lead you in, and that he's going to challenge us to experience suffering with Christ, giving up some things in our life so that we might experience his glory. And then in doing that, Paul's going to pick up in the very next verse, in verse 18, and he's going to share some comfort with us. So as we see that, here's what we're going to read from Paul in verses 18 through 25. He says, I consider then that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now let's stop there for just a moment this morning. Paul tells us that whatever suffering we are going through in this life, he goes, listen, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Like this idea of going, hey, when whatever you're going through right now, that's so hard, that's so frustrating, the sufferings associated with being identified with Christ, hang on through them because it is not even comparable to what you're going to experience in your ultimate relationship with God when you're with him forever. And so hang on. So some of us might be looking at some things in life and going, hey, are you going through something difficult right now? Well, hang on because something better is coming. Do you have really hard questions for God about the season that you're walking through and the things he's allowing in your life? Do you have some really challenging questions about who he is and his faithfulness and all those different kinds of things? Hang on. Something better is coming. Whatever it is that you're walking through, does walking in the ways of Jesus seem like it isn't worth it? Hang on. Something better is coming. And so Paul says, no matter what the suffering is that you're experiencing in this life at this time, It does not compare with what you'll get when you walk with Christ. That the things that God is going to do in our life, all our pain, all our hardship, all our trials, all our sufferings that come from following Jesus cannot even be compared with the glory that we receive from him and in him and one day when we're with him. And so hold on to your faith because he's worth it and because there's better things that are coming. And so we see this, and Paul even says, listen, this is not just about us. He goes, life on planet Earth is all about this too, right? Like even creation has been subjugated to the frustration that came when sin entered into the world, 
right? And it doesn't take a Christian to see that. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to know that. In fact, if you're not following Jesus today, part of the reason why you might not be following Jesus is because you look around and you see all the brokenness around. One of the biggest questions that non-Christians have is, well, if God is so good, why do all these bad things happen, right? That's one of their reasons. And so Paul says, listen, the whole creation has been made frustrated by the sin that entered the world when we chose against God. That there, you can look around and you can go, this isn't right. Things that are happening, they're not right. There's brokenness, there's chaos, there's decay, there's collapse, there's hurricanes, there's tornadoes. Our friends in Arkansas where we lived for three years, they just went through a huge bad hailstorm this past week. Baseball-sized hail being thrown out of the sky at people's cars and houses. Like, it is crazy. Like, my Facebook feed for two days was nothing but shattered windows. And I was like, don't post them here. Send that to your insurance agent. That guy's going to need to know that, right? Like, nobody can help you fix that here. Uh, But you just see smashed windows, smashed houses, people that have been literally hit by hell and have been just bleeding profusely because they have been attacked by ice out of the sky, right? You're going, this isn't right. This is not how things are supposed to be. And creation is agreeing with you. Paul goes, everything about creation is saying we are groaning. Creation is groaning, waiting for God to come back and not only redeem us, but to redeem it. And to bring it back to its place of original understanding of how God created it to be. That God is going to come back, that Jesus is going to come back, and when he reclaims his church, when he makes us his own, when he puts us with him forever, he's going to recreate the heavens and the earth, and he's going to make everything that's brought under frustration and turmoil, he's going to bring it back to perfection and peace. And we're going to reign with Christ forever. And so Paul says all of that is taking place, but sin brought that bondage to the things that God created. And now we're waiting for our eternal dwelling place with Christ, and the creation is waiting. But here's what we find in verse 22. He says, so we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so when we come into faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, and and many of the New Testament writers will say, the gift of God to us is the spirit that he puts to live inside of us. And that first fruits that Paul calls it is that initial taste of a relationship with God. And so if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first thing you're going to see on your notes to follow along. The first fruits of the spirit just means this, that we've experienced a taste of God That should be taste, not test. A taste of God through his spirit in our lives, but we long for the fulfillment of what he's promised, this face-to-face relationship with God, right? That we're going, I've tasted of God and his goodness. He's shown me his son and his word. He's given me his spirit in my life, and I've tasted that goodness of God, that he leads me, that he guides me, that he's changing me. And so I've tasted the first fruits of the spirit of God in my life. I've tasted that, but it's just a taste. It's not what we're ultimately going to get when we have a face-to-face encounter with the God of the universe. And so in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes about that very thing, and he says, for now, we see only as a reflection in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. 
Right? And so Paul says, here's what we're waiting on. The Spirit of God has come to give us a divine foretaste of the first fruits of who God is, but we don't see him face to face. We have an experience with him. We have a relationship with him. But one day, we are going to stand in the presence of God Almighty face to face. No more blinders, not looking dimly through a mirror, but in actual face to face relationship. And he goes, the Spirit of God has put that longing inside of us to be with God forever. So while we wait for that day to come, we go through challenging things. That's why Paul talks about this as hardships, as suffering. But here's the good news. Our comforter, the Holy Spirit, has come to a, for a purpose to comfort us, to help us walk through those things. So here's the next thing you see in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. It says, now in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever just been in a place where you didn't know what to pray? Man, I have so many times, right? Like things come up in life and you're just like, God, I, I don't even know what to say in this moment. I don't know how to pray. I know I'm frustrated. I know I'm feeling tension. I know that things aren't right. I know that I want this to be different. I know that I want this to be better, but I don't even know what to pray. Or I'm so frustrated, I'm just like, right? Like I'm just screaming out. And God goes, that's just fine. It's okay for you to be there. And here's why. The spirit that I put in your life, he intercedes for you in God's presence. The one who knows you intimately and knows your heart and knows your mind knows the mind of God. And he stands in the presence of God and he prays for you. Church, listen, that's powerful. That when you don't know what to say or do, you have an intercessor in heaven who stands before the Father and says, this is what he needs. This is what she needs. Those groans, <laughs> Father, when you hear them just going, like, I don't know, like there's just frustration, the Spirit makes sense of that to the Father. He goes, here's, here's what they mean. <laughs> like, that's good for us, right? That he intercedes for us. And Paul doesn't even just leave it there. He goes on because he talks about this idea of going, there's somebody who stands for us and, and intercedes for us. In Romans 8, 34, he goes on later in the chapter and he says, Christ Jesus, who died, but even more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And he's also interceding for us. <laughs> this is amazing. Like, two-thirds of the Trinity pray for you. Powerful. Like, that's amazing to go, I don't know what I need. Jesus goes, I do. I'll tell God for you. Man, I don't know what I need. The Spirit goes, that's all right, I got it. I'll take it to the Father for you. I'll pray for you. Man, it's Father's Day, right? So when I was raising my kids and my wife was raising the kids more than I was probably. But as we were kind of bringing up our kids, Josiah, especially when he was little, and my wife was the one that spent a lot of time with him. And then I would come home and just as he's learning to talk and speak, and it's just kind of the babbling that kids make. And I was going, he's trying to tell me something and I don't know what it is, right? And he would just be babbling and using these words. And I'm kind of going, I, I don't know. And then Heather would just walk in the room and go, he wants a banana. I'm like, <laughs> How did you get that? And she's like, I'm with him all the time. I know what those words mean. I know what those sounds mean. He wants this. 
Church, that's how the Spirit of God and the Son of God pray for us before the Father. We're just babbling. We're just talking. We don't even know. Maybe you don't even say the right thing, and the Spirit's like, that's okay. I'll intercept that, and before it gets to the ears of the Father, I'll make it say what you meant to say. Because <laughs> you're going to hear from Paul. In fact, he also says this in Romans 26 and 27. The Spirit of God who intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And that's great. Because sometimes I'm guilty of praying not in the will of God. And going, this is more my will. This is what I want. This is how I'm selfish. This is what I think you should do. And somehow, in the Spirit's interpretation of those things and interceding for us, I believe he stands before the God and he prays on our behalf before the Father and says, this is what they really need. They're praying this, your will be done. And the Spirit of God makes these things come to life for us. Uh, a guy named James Bryan Smith wrote a, a book called The Good and Beautiful God. And in it, he quoted this. He said, when we pray, we do not pray alone. The Spirit has subtly prompted us to pray, preceding us in prayer, and then prays with and for us. Right? So Christian, you are not alone this morning. I want you to listen to me in this. The Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ stand in front of God the Father and they pray for you. And here's the powerful thing about that. Paul says that the Spirit intercedes for people according to God's will. And so here's the next blank on your outline. When we talk about that idea of interceding for us, that he stands in the gap for us, it means this, that he acts in behalf of us, bending over us to protect it's got some legal terminology behind it. The way you might think about this is having a lawyer who goes to court on your behalf. Who says, you know what, if I were to go to court, I don't know legal jargon. I don't know how the court systems work. I don't know how to talk to a judge. I don't know how to fight a battle for myself. I don't know what's right and what's wrong in the eyes of the law. So I would hire a lawyer who would, in my behalf, go before the judge and present my case for my best interest. Like he is going to have my best interest in mind. I hired you to go in front of the judge and speak on my behalf with my best interest in mind. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. That the Spirit of God goes before the Father and he intercedes for us. And he covers us with his protection. I was thinking this week about Jesus and, and how when Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem he prayed over the city and he said, the daughters of Jerusalem, I've, I've prayed, I've wept over this. I've, I've wanted so much like a mother hen to just gather you under my wings, but you've rejected everything about me. Jesus' desire is to protect us and to cover us. And if we won't reject him and if we won't reject his spirit, he will stand in front of the Father and intercede on our behalf. No matter what's going on in your life, he will stand in front of God and he will act in your behalf. So aren't you glad to know that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you? That's a powerful thought this morning. But I want us to move on. I want us to see two more things that we gain in relationship with the Holy Spirit before we kind of wrap this series up. And so verses 28 through 30, Romans 8, 28 through 30 say this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Right now, verse 28 is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible, but it often gets misquoted or misunderstood. It, it fits in really well with what Paul's discussing here, but he's having these 
things that we're talking about to help make sense to us. But we've been talking about the idea that when we come to faith in Christ, we join him in his sufferings. Uh, that it, as we participate in the life of Christ, we suffer with Christ, but we also then get to experience his glory. And so when Paul is writing this and he says these things, those, uh, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. A couple of ways that that gets misinterpreted. Some people would say uh, that that means that God is going to keep anything bad from happening in your life. God is going to do all good in your life. That's not what it says, right? Paul doesn't mean that God shields us from bad and only allows good things to happen. He says God knows how to take even the bad things in life and shape them for good. God knows how to work on your behalf. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so God knows how to take even that trial you're going through right now and go, hey, I know you don't understand right now. I know you don't see how this is going to work out for good. I know you can't even fathom or imagine how good is coming out of this right now. Like this looks horrific. It looks terrible. You're frustrated. I know that. But I also know in the grand scheme of things and in my divine foreknowledge of everything that's happening in this world and everything that's happening in creation, how I'm going to take this bad and form it for your good and for my glory. So hang on. Because I know what I'm doing. And for some of us, you're going to get to see maybe months later, maybe years later, and you're going to look back and go, that's, that's what God meant. I think about the story of Joseph, right? Joseph sold into captivity by his brothers, sold as a slave to Egypt. But once he gets there, God continues to give him power and authority, and he raises him up. Joseph ends up back in prison again. There's some crazy things that happen in his life, but God continues to work, continues to do these things. And then one day, uh, the Pharaoh has a dream, and Joseph is the only person in all of Egypt that can interpret the dream. And it ends up being something that God uses to save millions of people's lives because a famine's coming in the land. And Joseph says, hey, there's this terrible famine that's going to happen. But if you'll store up grain for these first seven years, then the next seven years we'll be able to live through the famine. And in the long run, Joseph's brothers from Goshen end up coming to Egypt or from, uh, from uh, the land of the Israelites comes to Egypt because they need food. They need grain. And they stand in front of their brother and they don't even know who he is. But over time, Joseph reveals himself and they're terrified. They're going, the brother that we sold into slavery is now second in command of all of Egypt. He's going to kill us. And what's Joseph's response? Hey, the thing that you meant for, God, uh, for destruction and death, God meant for good, for the savings of many lives. This is maybe decades later that Joseph, with the perspective of seeing backstory, goes, hey, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. And so when we get that perspective, and it might take weeks, months, years for you to see that, and they go, I didn't know in the time how God was going to do that and bring good out of it, but here it is. Or maybe you won't see it in your lifetime. Maybe you'll go through your whole life and go, I, I don't know why God allowed that to happen. But in eternity, you'll get to see it. And God will go, here's what I was working Here's what I was doing. Here's how I worked for your good and for my glory through that situation. So church, hang on when you go through these difficult things. Uh, I heard a quote from Jackie Hill Perry this week. She said this, one thing that's really constantly encouraged me in light of all my temptations, in light of all the nagging sins that come crouching at my door is eternity and the reality that all will be made right one day, including me. 
right? Like one day God is going to make all things right. But then Paul tells us, he goes on and he shows us what God does throughout our lives. He says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So here's the next point that I want to make if you're following along this morning. It's just this. The salvation belongs to God. It's not a man-made creation. It's something that originates with God and comes from God. And he says, those that I, I foreknew, I predestined to be conformed to the image of my son. And God's divine knowledge, he knows who will come into relationship with him. And he says, everyone who comes into relationship with me, I have predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And the way that I do that is I give you my spirit to work in your life. And everyone that I call, I'm going to justify. And everyone that I justify, I'm going to glorify. And so we can hold on through all of the trials in life knowing that God alone has brought salvation for you, that he has worked those things out, that he's called you to be like his son, that he's glorified you and he's justified you in his image and in his presence. And so this belongs to God. But you might look at that and kind of go, well, then in this, where's the Holy Spirit? Because uh, I don't see that in Romans 8 in these last few verses. What do we see here? Uh, and here's what we would get. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. It's not in Romans, but in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes and says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to your salvation, the Holy Spirit is actively at work and at play in your life to bring you to a place where you can even say Jesus is Lord. You cannot do that outside of the active participation of, of the Spirit of God in your life that he brings you to this place of salvation. It's his divine plan. Salvation isn't something you achieve through your own power. It's the working of God's spirit. So here's what I would just say as we kind of get to the last part of this. Some of you right now would go, hey, you know what? I, I've been avoiding God for a long time. I've been running from God, but I have felt the pull of God on my life. And if you feel that, like if your heart's beating in your chest and you feel this draw and this calling to God, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. That he's calling you to leave a life of sin and to come into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God does that. He calls us to himself. Others of you are going, man, I can remember and I can think back on what the Spirit of God has done in my life. That he called me into this relationship with Jesus. He's changed me. He's given me a relationship. And he has given me hope and life. And now what we do is we partner with the Spirit of God to be sanctified by Christ. That he's going, I want to be like Jesus. And I'm going to partner with the Spirit of God and I'm going to give him permission to mess around in my life and show me and point out to me every place where I don't look like Christ. And I'm going to do whatever work it takes for me in partnership with the Spirit of God to be changed, to be like Jesus. And then we come to the last part of Romans chapter 8. Here's what I want us to see as we close up. When we come to this place where we're totally surrendered to God, Paul gives us some incredible words, some of the most powerful words in Scripture that we find. In verses 31 through 39, he says, What then can separate us, or excuse me, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, God, who did not spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, but more than that, who was raised to life, he's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Right? And you go, okay, well, where's the spirit actively at work in that? Where is he doing? What's he going? And we have to go back to 2 Corinthians to really find this, but here's what we find. The Spirit of God at work in these things of going, who can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ? I don't believe that anything can separate us from him, neither life nor death nor height nor anything in all creation. And here's why that's true. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 says, Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, he set his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, it says, Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Why is it that we can never be separated from the love of God? Because God put his spirit inside of you as a deposit to guarantee your place with him for eternity. When I think about that word deposit, I think about banking, right? Like you're going to go and you're going to put money in a bank. And if you deposit money in a bank, there is an FDIC assurance that says, if you put $2,000 in and then a couple of months later you go and go, I want my $2,000, they give you your $2,000. Like it is insured, it is guaranteed for you to be there, right? Or at least when things are working well, that's how it's supposed to go, okay? And so if I'm going, hey, this is guaranteed, I put in a deposit, and when I go and ask for it back, I want you to give it to me back. God says, here's what I did. When you trusted Jesus for salvation, I put my spirit inside of you, and he's a deposit in your life that I'm guaranteeing that because of your faith in Jesus, you're going to have a place with me forever. And so we have this deposit. But then he also says that he thinks about it like a seal, right? It's a seal. And so when you think about when Paul's writing, a couple of different things come to mind. Number one, if you were going to write a letter to someone and send it to them, you would fold the letter, you would pour some wax on the crease, and then you would stamp your seal into the wax so that when somebody received that, they would know that it hadn't been tampered with. You would break the seal. If the seal was broken, you would know somebody had read it. But if the seal is intact, then it's not been tampered with. It's good. Right? And so he says the spirit of God is like that seal that's given on your life and imprinted on your life. Nobody can mess with you. But for more of a modern analogy, here's what I would think. Has anybody ever bought something that is in those like uh, vacuum sealed wrap packaging? Those things are the worst, right? Like usually it's electronics that you get and they're just vacuum sealed all the way around the edge. And when you try to break those things up, you cannot do it. It is impossible. It's like, hey, please buy this, but then don't use it. That's what they're thinking. Like, I want you to buy this, but I never want you to have access to it. So we're going to put it in this vacuum seal. You have to get an X-Acto knife and cut that thing open, right? Like, it is impossible to just break the seal with your hands. If you have figured that out or you're super strong, come and tell me the trick because I would love to know how to operate those packages. But if you've you got to go get a knife and you've got to cut those things open. And so God is saying the same thing to us. Listen, when you come into faith in Christ, the Spirit of God is put in your life and he seals you for the day of salvation that you'll be with God for eternity. And so when we think about that, the last thing that we would probably ask, the last question is then, well, how do we know we're in Christ? How can I know I'm a Christian? And here's what Jesus said in John 10. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father am one. So I want you to put these three things together. What we read in Corinthians, what we read in John. Jesus says this, and, and Paul would say the same thing. He goes, listen, here's what I want you to know. When you come into faith in me, Jesus takes you in his hand, and no one can take you out of his hand. But in case you're worried about that, he goes, but when you come into faith in me, the Father takes you in his hand. And the Father's greater than all, and no one can take you out of his hand. And in case you're still worried about that, the Spirit of God is given as a seal to stamp over the top of that and go, no one gets to break the seal. No one gets to take you out of the Father's hand. What can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Nothing in all creation. Not height, nor depth, nor angels or demons, no powers. Nothing. Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You're in his hand. You're in the hands of the Father. You're sealed by the Spirit. You have a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. So no matter what happens in your life, hang on. God knows how to bring good from it. God is at work to bring redemption to us. So I'm going to ask Ellie to come back up. We're going to sing one last song together this morning as we close up our time together. But I want to just encourage you in this today. That when we think about this relationship that we have in the Holy Spirit and what Jesus has achieved on our behalf to save us, to bring us hope and life, that we can put ourselves in his hands. Some of you have not chosen to follow Christ at this point. Maybe you felt the tug of the Holy Spirit on your life. Maybe you've rejected that. Maybe you've kind of put that thought aside. Maybe you've, you've just kind of not done anything with it. And today the Holy Spirit is pressing in on you. The Holy Spirit's calling you. And this is your day to respond to him. This is your time to say yes to the Holy Spirit to say no to sin, to say no to the kingdom of darkness, and to say yes to God's spirit. And so if you are not a follower of Jesus today, this is the time for you to take these moments and just say, I want to give my life over to Christ. I want him to hold me in his hand. I want to know that my future with God in heaven is secured. And the way you know that is that when you come into faith in Christ, God deposits his spirit inside of you. And he says, here's how you'll know. I'm a good shepherd. And my sheep, they listen to my voice. And they follow me. And the Holy Spirit helps you to hear the voice of God and respond to the voice of God in obedience. So this morning, if you want to just ask God, even right where you are, to change your life, to bring salvation to you, to give you hope and a future with him, to bring life and peace. You can do that this morning. If you want somebody to talk to, that we can help guide you in some things, we'd love to have that conversation with you. There's going to be some people over on this side of the room that'll be available just to pray with you. If you'd like to find me or one of our staff after the service this morning, we would love to just pray with you. We'd love for you to know that there's a way to have a relationship with God that will change your life forever. 
Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.